I cannot believe it's June already. I cannot believe that like summer has started and school is over and we have moved up our kids for all of you fifth graders getting ready to be sixth graders who are in the room with your families. Welcome to Big Church. We're so glad that you're with us. Um, I always get do kind of a tour of the uh, children's ministry area. Before I preach the 8.30, I go say hi to all my friends in our infant preschool ministry and elementary school rooms. And like all my kids were in different rooms today. So they were confusing me because no one was where I thought they were gonna be. I walked in the second grade room um, and one of my little friends, Jack, was there. Jack is a seventh, uh, a, going to be a second grader at Pleasant Hill and he had a fresh new haircut. Um, any of you seen the movie Incredibles? Anybody seen Incredibles? So um, Jack looked today, he's got like almost white hair. Um, he looked like the smallest little incredible guy. So I asked him when I walked in, he had a really fresh haircut. He had lightning bolts that were carved into the side of his head. Um, and I was like, Jack, you're in the wrong room. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm going into second grade. And I was like, dude, the barber messed up your hair. You got all these cuts on the side of your head. And he's like, no, they're lightning bolts. And I said, have you ever seen the Incredibles? You look like Dash. And he said, no, I haven't. He said, my dad says I look like Brian Bosworth. And I said, do you even know who Brian Bosworth is? And he said, yeah, he's the guy in the Dr. Pepper commercials. And I thought, wow, that shows my age. So he is the guy in the Dr. Pepper commercials, but you don't look like that guy. You look like the football player guy, um, Brian Bosworth. So um, for those of you moving up with us, we're glad you're getting older with us together. As we start June, let me remind you that the first Wednesday um, of each month this year, we've had what we call our first Wednesdays of fasting and prayer. Um, that will be this Wednesday. We are not meeting in person. We're meeting online only, and we are uploading the service on Tuesday afternoon. So if you want Tuesday night before you go to bed to get ready for your day of prayer and fasting, you can watch that devotional, maybe last thing Tuesday. If you want to do it when you get up, if you get up very early in the morning, um, if you want to move through that devotional time before you're fasting, if you want to do it at the end of the day, it'll be on all of our digital platforms starting on Tuesday afternoon. We'll email it out, get it to your social. So uh, we hope you'll continue to participate in our first Wednesdays of fasting and prayer, even though we're not meeting in person over the summer months. Um, and if you have your Bibles today, as we dig into our Bible study time, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, everything I read from Scripture will be on the screen, pretty easy to follow along. But we're in a series that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should know, um, you should care about, you should be able to talk about, because we're in a series called Kingdom Come, which is basically Jesus teaching over two chapters what it's going to look like when this world comes to an end and his eternal kingdom begins. So it really is a series, not just on the end times, but on the eternal kingdom coming after the end times and what we need to know kind of between now and then as we dig into that scripture. Um, we're in week two of what will be an eight-week series, so you haven't missed much. Next two weeks are going to be pretty critically important, though. Today we're going to start in Matthew 24, 4, um, and we're going to read two words and then just stop and make sure that before we read answers, we read questions. So here's what it says in Matthew 24, 4. It says, Jesus answered. Stop. Um, before the answer is important to us, we need to know the questions. So if you were here last week, maybe you know the questions. But if not, we need to back up. Before we move forward to the answer, we need to back up to the question just so that we're all on the same page as Jesus. So we began this journey with King Jesus the Sunday after Easter. 
We spent six weeks in two days of Jesus' life. We spent six weeks studying about 48 hours of time in Jesus' life where he rode into Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. And then the next day when he came back and got into a very confrontational dialogue with the religious leaders of Israel. As a matter of fact, we have 109 verses of one conversation of people challenging Jesus, asking him his, asking him questions about his rule and reign. And then by the time we get to the end of that, Jesus kind of telling off the religious leaders of his day. At the end of that, Jesus makes a statement that causes the disciples to ask him three questions that Jesus will answer. So we go back to those 109 verses. We see Jesus wrote in on Palm Sunday. The crowds were proclaiming that he was the Jewish Messiah. He came in and cleared the temple. Next day he shows up in the temple and they started challenging him. First question they ask him, who gave you the authority to do that? We didn't tell you you could do that. Who gave you the authority to do that? Then they tried to trip him up in his words. Should we pay taxes to the Romans or not? We're Jewish citizens. Should we pay taxes to the Romans? Then they started to try to mess with theology a little bit. Hey, are people going to be married in heaven or not married in heaven? And after he answered that one, they're like, well, is there even really a heaven? Can you prove that there's an afterlife? And after that one, they were like, well, of everything written in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, what would be the most important laws to follow? And when Jesus answered every one of their questions correctly, they got quiet and he said, now let me ask you one question. Are you willing to follow me as God's Messiah? And it says, nobody answered him anything. After that conversation, Jesus walks out of the temple, makes a statement, which causes the disciples to ask three questions. And today he's gonna answer them, but let's look at the statement and questions first. It says in Matthew 24, one, Jesus left the temple. Somebody say temple. It's gonna be on a quiz in a minute, so remember that, the temple. And was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call, its, call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone's gonna be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, somebody say Mount of Olives. It's also on the quiz, get ready for that. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Question number one, when's the temple gonna to be torn down? Um, what will be the sign of your coming? Question number two. And what is gonna be the sign of the end of the age? So Jesus and his disciples had just left where? Question number one. The temple. And they were now sitting where? So let me put your eyes on it if we can. I'm gonna throw up a couple pictures on, this, on the screen, one facing east, one facing west. Um, the picture at the top is a really good rendition of probably what the temple looked like in the day of Jesus. If you were sitting on the Mount of Olives looking west out towards the Mediterranean, the top picture is what you would see. It was an impressive facility built by Herod the Great who built impressive facilities. Um, the picture on the bottom is an artist's rendition. If you were sitting in old Jerusalem and you were looking east, this would be the picture of you looking over the Temple Mount that kind of was silhouetted behind by the Mount of Olives. The disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives looking west over the Temple Foundation and they asked three questions. Question number one, when is the Temple gonna be destroyed? Because Jesus made a statement, said it's gonna be destroyed. Jesus does not answer that question in Matthew 24, but in Luke chapter 21, he says, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, know that this stage of the process is coming. The temple will be destroyed. That would happen about a generation after Jesus said this. In AD 70, the Roman general Titus would go into Israel and he would demolish the entire city. You can go to an archway in Rome that shows Titus carrying the menorah from the temple back to Israel. Like you can go see that right now. 
It is a historically cemented fact that the temple was torn down in AD 70 by Roman general Titus. Second question is, when is your coming kingdom going to start? Notice they did not ask Jesus when he was going to return because they did not know he was going to leave. They thought like he had come and had come to stay. So there was no thought that, hey, when are you coming back? The question is, when are you going to set up the kingdom? They would ask Jesus this on his last day on planet Earth, like, when are you going to do this? Um, we'll begin talking about that in verses 29 through 44 on Father's Day. And we'll carry that for a couple weeks. The last question, the one that Jesus answered first, is what will be the sign or the signs of the end? How will we know when the end is coming? And Jesus would begin by addressing that question. Now, we are going to spend two weeks looking at what we call the signs of the times. There's six of them. Today will be part one. Next week will be part two. Here's what you need to know about the next few weeks at Journey, though, in this series. This is not a series on prophecy because Jesus is not teaching us about prophecy in Matthew chapter 24. Um, you are not going to hear words the next two or three weeks like pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Um, we're not going to unpack deeply concepts like the rapture. We're not going to talk about amillennialism or millennialism. We're not going to talk about a preterist mindset, which means things happen in the history versus a prophetic, which means they happen in the future. Not that those things aren't important. Jesus just doesn't talk about them in this text. And he talks about a lot. This is the longest recorded answer of Jesus in all of scripture. They ask him three questions. He responds with 94 verses of answers in Matthew 24 and 25. There are 18 books in the Bible shorter than this answer about the end times. 18 books of the 66 in the Bible don't even get as much airtime as Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. And he is not going to really talk about prophetical timelines and calendars as much as he's going to talk about the condition of your heart as you draw near to the end and the call of your hands. If you're here today and you love prophecy and you love the end times because you love calendars and you love talking about dates and events, you will miss the heart of Jesus' teaching because Jesus is gonna teach that the most important things to know about the end are the condition of your heart and the call of your hands so you can be faithful to what God has called you to. So the question, when is the end gonna come? Jesus said, let me tell you the signs that it's getting close. There'll be six. Today, we'll look at three. The first one we're going to find in verses four through eight. He said, there's going to be deception and distraction in your life spiritually. There's going to be deception and distraction in your life spiritually. Three questions. When's the temple go? When are you going to set up your kingdom? What will be the signs of the end? Jesus answered. Now we know the questions. Here's the answer. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they'll deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdoms will rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus, when is the end coming? He says you need to watch out for three things. Number one, spiritual deception and distraction among God's people. You need to look, letter B, for geopolitical deception and distraction. It seems to threaten your way of life. You need to look for, letter C, unnatural pain in your life and in your community because of natural disasters and natural calamities. 
If we were to just unpack these a little bit at a time, if you look at letter A, be aware of spiritual deception and distraction among God's people. If we were to study both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, they would say in the end, the message that's gonna get deceptive and distracting in God's church always points to two things. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles said the same thing. There's gonna be a day in the church where people promise that you can have peace with God without giving authority to God. And somebody's gonna tell you that you can have all the promises and blessings of God without really making him God in your life. That was happening in the Old Testament. The New Testament apostles said that's what the end will look like in the church. People will say you can have peace with God. And you do not have to give him authority in your life. By the way, that's happening in the church today. People will say all the promises and blessings of God are good for everyone. You don't have to follow God at all. By the way, people are saying that in the church today. Jesus said, you gotta be aware. That's a sign that we're getting close. He said, beware of geopolitical deception and distraction against your way of life, threats to your way of life. It's interesting. I think in America, this plays out more internally than externally. There's not a lot of threats externally from outside America that threaten a whole lot to destroy our way of life, except maybe the debt load that we're carrying with other countries around the world. But if you look at politics, this is the threat. The way I get your vote is by convincing you that if you don't vote for me, the other party is going to destroy your way of life. Republicans are saying if Democrats are in charge, they're going to destroy the way of life that you would like to live. Uh, Republicans are saying if Democrats are in charge, and vice versa, Democrats are saying if Republicans are in charge. Like the way of politics today is to threaten that if you don't vote for me, the other party is going to destroy the way you want to live your life, the things you want to have, the, the way you interact every day. Like that's how geopolitical threats work Outside our world, maybe it looks more like Russia and Ukraine, somebody coming to take you over to change your way of life. Jesus said that kind of stuff's gonna happen. That'll be a signal that you're beginning to get close to the end. And then he said there will be uncommon pain from very common natural disasters, unnatural pain from natural disasters and calamities. In Luke 21, as Jesus unpacks this a little more, he would add to natural disasters, plagues, and sickness and terrors. A world that has had a plague come over it that seems to cause great, great pain. A world that lives with terrorism in its worldview and in its purview that scares people. Jesus said, those will be some of the signs that the end is near. Now for those of us who live in this world, we would say, doesn't our world kind of look like that right now? Like, is he saying that that's 2023 or is he saying like that's the very end because it, like I feel like we're close. Well, all of these things have happened through all of time. You would say Jacob before his family, Jacob who would be renamed Israel, would experience all of these things, spiritual strife within his own family, political strife in the region of the Middle East, a natural disaster, famine. We would say Jacob and his family of 12 sons experienced this when they had to move down to Egypt to survive. And we would say that Moses 
And his generation of people of Israel kind of went through the exact same thing, the spiritual battle between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt and uh, in this natural, supernatural power of God against the people of Egypt and for the people of Israel um, and the spiritual repentance and returning of the people of Israel. We would say like Moses' day looked a lot like this. We would say uh, that Elijah's day looked a lot like this. When Elijah was battling against King Ahab, they were trying to spiritually corrupt the Jewish religion. There was all kind of geopolitical stuff going on. Ahab had married the daughter of basically the king of Lebanon, and they were trying to take over all of Israel's resources. And God had to do some supernatural things. First, a drought that God stepped in and rescued. We would say, like, we see these three things in the Bible. We see these things in the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. We see spiritual conflict at the temple during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. We see geopolitical struggle, Rome trying to figure out how to control Palestine. We read in the early church, there was tremendous drought that the church had to respond to by offering. Like these are things that exist all the time, but scripture says in the end times, they will increase. There'll be more. And then Jesus would say this, these are just the beginning of end times pain, but they can all serve to be the end of your focus on Jesus. These things will just be the very beginning of showing you what's coming, but they can be the end of your focus on Jesus if you're not really, really careful. Can I take you back three years to the spring of 2020 and ask whether or not Jesus is prophetic? Can we look at what happened in the church? Can we look at what happened politically? Can we look at what happened with the pandemic and say, yeah, people get distracted spiritually when that stuff happens? Can we acknowledge, like Siri's answering my questions from the stage as I talk, which is cool. That happens all the time, staffing. Like, (laughs) can we look at Jesus' list and say, yeah, that happens? And can we honestly enough look at Jesus' list and say, and that happened to me? We all know somebody who was walking with Jesus before 2020 who's not anymore because they just got distracted and maybe deceived and they just began to walk away. Jesus said these things are happening and the goal for you is not to be alarmed and not to be deceived when they happen. Jesus' followers are not deceived and they are not alarmed at things that are coming because we anticipate that they will happen. Because Jesus told us, when it feels like the entire world is falling apart, that's not really a surprise to us. We're aware of that. We're not alarmed by that. People say all the time, Christian, are you really, really worried about this progressive movement in the Christian church? No, I'm not worried. I'm aware of it. But I'm not deceived and I'm not alarmed. Jesus told us it was coming. What about all the political unrest? Are you really, are you scared for the 2024 election and what that might do to followers of Jesus? No, I'm not scared of it. I'm aware of it, but I'm not alarmed or deceived because Jesus told us it was coming. What about global pandemics that freak people out so much spiritually? Are you alarmed? Not al- I'm aware, but not alarmed because Jesus told us they were coming. There shouldn't be much new to us if we study what Jesus says about the end. But man, you got to stay focused. In the spring of 2021, I had an opportunity to have breakfast with one of our missionaries from Israel uh, back in the States at first watch up off of Chipman Road by 470. Um, And as we talked, Israel had about 18 months of our three-month lockdown. So like 
in 2021, moving into late spring 2021, still not allowed to have church inside, still not allowed to have crowds over so, over, over so big. So they were like really caught in the throes of this pandemic for a year and a half. Like we had three months of lockdown. They were moving through 18 months of lockdown. And I said, how are you keeping your people engaged spiritually? And he said, that's easy. He said, we've been doing a Bible study on Isaiah chapter 8. Jewish people love to study what the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament says about Jesus because that really is their like core religious history. And he said, are you aware of what Isaiah 8 says? And I said, actually not off the top of my head. I got the other 65 chapters, but I don't know that one. So like refresh my memory um, if you would. And he took me to Isaiah chapter 8. And I thought, this is good. He said, here's what we're teaching the Christians in Israel. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He said, Christian in Israel, but particularly with Christians in Israel, people are spending so much time on the internet and so little time in the word of God. So we're trying to chase them back to the word of God. He said, people are spending so much time talking to one another about conspiracies, but so little time talking to God about anything in prayer. So we're trying to drive them back to the word of God. Distraction and deception are going to come in every generation of life. It'll increase as we get closer to the end. But Jesus says, be aware and be focused. If there's a key lesson within this point of deception and distraction, I would say it's really simple. It's this. It's going to take a lot more focus to stay on mission as we get closer to the end. And here's a statement that you can choose to believe or not, but I think it has to be true. Today, we are one day closer to the end than yesterday, and tomorrow we'll be one day closer to the end than today, right? Like that's how that works. Jesus said it's going to take far more focus every day moving forward than it has in your past to stay committed. So you got to stay focused. He will also tell us as he impacts sign number two that you might also have to get tougher because sign number two is persecutions, paganism, and pain. If the first wave of deception and distraction doesn't wipe you out, the second wave of persecution and paganism and pain is coming, so get ready. He'll say in verses nine through 12, then after deception and distraction, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You might circle the word then in verse 9. Almost every orthodox and evangelical teacher of eschatology, which means the theology of end times, believes that verse 9 and following happens after what is known as the rapture of the church. In Revelation 3.10, it says that God pulls his people out of planet earth and up to heaven before the greatest tribulation that will happen on church. And almost all scholars put verses nine and following in the last seven years of this side of the kingdom of God in what is called the great tribulation that we'll talk a lot more about next week. However, as I read these verses, I don't get to verse nine and think, well, the rest, the rest is not for me because I'm gonna be in heaven. 
I read verse nine and say, what can I learn from it? And as I read verse nine, 10, 11, and 12, I think that may be a sign of the great tribulation, but that is also a reality right now. So there's some tremendous practical application you can learn from verse nine. First, we're gonna learn this. Followers of a crucified savior should anticipate being canceled by a sinful culture. You're going to be rejected and persecuted and hated. You say, why do you believe that? Because Jesus said it. Secondly, because more and more and more it appears to be true. Like, I wonder how many conversations Jesus is gonna have to have with people who come to him and plan to tell him how unfair something has been in their life because they're a Christian. And when they get to him, he stands maybe like this. And they see that scar on the back of his hand and think, you know what, never mind. Um, what I was gonna say is not nearly as bad as what you went through. Like we have a culture of Christianity who complains before Jesus how unfair it is that it's hard to be a Christian. And Jesus is like, oh, let me tell you my story. Um, and he doesn't have to get far before you realize followers of a crucified savior are going to be canceled by culture. Why? Because Christianity and culture were never supposed to mesh together and be best friends. It's not the way it works. In the last 25 years of church planning, church planning organizations have tried to help churches become more relevant to culture. Like newsflash, the church will never be relevant to culture. They are opposed to the things of Jesus. Instead, we ought to be telling churches, find what culture's greatest needs are and figure out how Jesus and Jesus alone can meet that need and go live in that area. People are not just gonna one day agree with Christian things, but their heart can be captured by Jesus. So Jesus said people are gonna reject faith. He gives three reasons. Maybe as you contemplate faith, one of these reasons is the reason you haven't said yes yet. One, he said, for many, the commitment's just gonna be too high. Why are people gonna reject faith as the end times get closer? For some, the commitment's just gonna be too much. In Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and starts this Jesus thing, but then looks, looks back at what they're losing, they're not gonna be fit for the kingdom of God. People who are trying to figure out, can I commit all of me, are really not gonna be people who are built for the Christianity thing. He tells us in letter B that some people are gonna reject faith because their hearts are gonna be grabbed by false teachers. But it's really interesting how 2 Timothy chapter three and 2 Timothy chapter four unpacks this. Because 2 Timothy chapter three says that in the end times, people are going to quit looking for truth from outside of them. They're gonna believe that truth exists inside of them. They're gonna figure out what their truth is. And then they're gonna find a teacher who says the same thing. So it's not that false teachers grab their hearts as much as their false belief that they are God determines what their heart believes and then they find an author or a blogger or a social media influencer or a pastor who will say the same thing. So a lot of people like false teachers will become the mouthpiece of what their heart already wants to believe. And for a lot of them, like sin is just gonna be too big of an attraction and they're gonna say like, I would love to follow Jesus but I'm, I'm unwilling to let go of this sin in my life. Do you know that the book of Revelation designates two sins in the end times that will be the primary reason people walk away from the faith and quit following Jesus? The first of those is a word in our Bibles in Revelation 9, 17 that says sorcery. 
but it's not sorcery. For those of you thinking, I knew I shouldn't have let my kids read Harry Potter. That's not, like, it's not talking about <laughs> sorcery and wands and witchcraft and whatever. I don't think Harry Potter's the Antichrist, but we'll, learn, we'll look a little more next week and see if that's possible. <laughs> the word in the Greek language is the word pharmakia. We get the English word pharmacy from it. Um, it means drugs. The reason a lot of people in the end times will say no to Jesus is because they're unwilling to say no to their drugs. The other reason, Revelation 17, 21, is sexual immorality. They are unwilling to live in Jesus' standard of sexuality. Jesus said, when you look around and realize the primary reason people are rejecting faith is for their drugs and their sexual immorality, you know, you're getting close. Which makes me think on June 4th of 2023, maybe we're close because we live in a world that ever increasingly is trying to figure out how to make drugs recreational. It's kind of an oxymoron. Um, how to make them all legal. We live in a world that has a terrible prescription drug habit and addiction. And we live in a world with one of the worst opioid crisis in American history. And we stand today in church on the first Sunday of June while we have a nation that's celebrating the pride of do whatever you want to do sexually. It appears that we're getting close, according to what the Bible says. I was having a conversation with a friend this week. They're like, Christian, do you realize you can't go anywhere without smelling pot anymore? And it's like, yeah, it's like everywhere. Um, there, there are families on my street that smoke so much pot on some nights that like we can't leave the dog out for more than three or four minutes or we'd have to feed him again. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> we were... We were, on a walk, we were on a walk last night. We came home, and Daniel's like, I got I to gotta water the flowers before we go inside. And I'm telling you, someone was throwing a party. And I was like, baby, I'll help you water the flowers, but if it takes more than 10 minutes, we're going to have to go to Taco Bell before we, like, go to bed. I'm like, it was thick. Fifth graders, welcome to big church where we talk about the munchies. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, I don't even know where I am anymore. I'm trying to figure out, is there anything in the Bible that can help me here? I found my note. Um, you say, Christians, so, so Christians are going are gonna to reject Christianity because of drugs and sexual immorality? No, no, not Christians. People who used to engage in Christian things but then walk away. See, 2 John 2.19 says if they were with us, if they were really Christians, they wouldn't have left us. And the fact that they left, the fact that they rejected the faith proves that they never had faith in the first place because to summarize it, Christians don't walk away from Jesus. Not long-term, not forever. Do Christians sin? Yes. Do Christians get away from God? Yes. Do Christians have difficult seasons? Yes. Do Christians reject and walk away from Jesus forever? No. The Bible teaches that that does not happen. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful and he keeps pulling us to himself according to scripture. However, here's the pain point of the end times. Another one of these things to just get ready for. People don't just reject the faith in the end times. They reject and hate people of faith in the end times. That's me and you. And the people rejecting and hating are not nameless, faceless, online critics. According to scripture, they are people who used to have spiritual fellowship with us, around us, 
who have decided not only that they are not gonna follow Jesus, but they're gonna make it their mission in life to persecute us because we are following Jesus. David wrote about this in Psalm chapter 55. It's a hard psalm to read, but it makes your heart feel good to know that maybe you're not alone when life gets hard sometimes. David wrote in Psalm 55, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you. It's a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Like you didn't just leave the church, leave our small group. You walked away from Jesus and now you don't just hate Jesus, you hate me because I love Jesus. This would be a good point to talk about some of the things Jesus says and to understand the difference between prescriptive theology and descriptive theology. Say, what do, you, what do you mean by that? There are things in the New Testament that are prescriptive that say Christians do this, take two of these every morning. There are other places in the New Testament where theology is descriptive. It doesn't say this should happen, but it will say this will happen. And in this area, this pain point, Jesus gives us some descriptive words of theology. He doesn't say he wants this to happen, but he says this will happen. In Luke chapter 12, verses 52 and 53, Jesus gives us some not prescriptive, but descriptive. He said, I wish it didn't happen, but it will. Because of faith, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. For some reason, everyone's against the mother-in-law in this text. Like it says her name like three times. Jesus is like, families are going to be divided. At 830, I was like, I hope my mother-in-law is not watching. I had a text when I got back. Your mother-in-law was watching today. So like, sorry. Um, it's just in there like three times. Jesus says, faith is going to divide your family. And some of your family is going to make it really hard on you because you've chosen to walk with Jesus. And probably the harshest bit of descriptive advice in Scripture in Luke 14, 26, Jesus isn't prescribing this saying it should be this way. He's saying it will be this way. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You say, why is Jesus saying that? Listen closely. Because they're going to make you choose. They're gonna make you choose. Your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, Aunts and uncles, they're going to say, Jesus or me. And if you keep following Jesus, if you keep going to that church, and if you keep believing that, we're done forever. I'm not the only one who's been cut off because I've chosen to love Jesus. Many others in the house have. Jesus says, probably all of us will be as we get closer to the end. Say, man, Christian, Orthodox biblical Christianity sure seems divisive. It can be, but Jesus told us. Shouldn't be a surprise. The greatest thing about Matthew 24 and 25 is Jesus said, here's what's coming. Don't get distracted. Don't be dis like, here's what's coming. Just be ready. Of the six signs, I think number three is my favorite. Sign number three we see in the midst of all of this. Faithful Christians in the mission of the church just keep going. It's not easy. 
There's deception, there's distraction, there's persecution, there's paganism, there's pain. But in the midst of all that, there are Jesus followers who are standing with Jesus and serving in the mission of the church. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What's Jesus saying in verse 12? He's saying this, at the end, a defeated people, humanity, will separate from the will of God for their lives. Why? Because of wickedness, people's hearts will grow cold. You say, what's the, wait a minute, what's the will of God? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, this question was asked of Jesus. What's like the one big thing I need to know about God? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment's just like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. There are gonna be some people who look around the world and say, it's not worth Loving God and loving people, that did not work out last time I tried that. Because of the wickedness and the hardship and the Facebook and the divisiveness and the gossip and the whatever, you're gonna say, try, it's not worth it anymore. It's just not worth trying to love God. It's just not worth trying to love people. Everyone lets you down. It's not worth it anymore. Jesus said at the end, people will be just so hard-hearted because of the condition of the world They'll give up what God wants them to do most. Yet at the exact same time, on your notes it says it this way, also at the end, Jesus says a determined people will surrender to the will of God. A people connected to Jesus, even though it's hard, even though it's distracting, even though it's painful, people will continue to love Jesus. People will continue to serve Jesus. And it's kind of at this point in the message that if this is, post-rapture tribulation teaching, this would be where we say there's 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams who become Christians after the church is raptured out of the world, and these people spend their entire life telling the whole world who Jesus is. But this is not just an end times great tribulation thing. The mission of the church from day one has been that Christians are supposed to exist to love God and love people. And the way we love people is by telling them who our God is. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is called the Great Commission. It says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you till the ends of the age. In light of eternity, in light of the end, nothing is more critical than just staying close to Jesus and staying on mission. Let me say it again. More than calendars, more than timelines, in light of the end. Nothing is more crucial for our faith than to stay close to Jesus and to stay on Jesus' mission. I hope you see that clearly today. I hope you see that sign. In 1992, a band named Ace of Bass wrote a song called I Saw the Sign. There are so many more of you who know that in this service than the last service that I'm thankful that I have a whole church that didn't grow up on Christian music and some of you know that song. I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. Do you see the sign that Jesus is calling us to today? Here it is. Followers of Jesus, they stand with Jesus, they serve on his mission till the very end. Do you see, like, do you see what Jesus is calling you to? Followers of Jesus, they stand with Jesus, serve his mission to the very, very end.
Does this describe your faith life? Is this the picture of you this week, this month, in 2023? Are you standing with Jesus? Are you serving in his mission in the midst of deceitfulness and distraction and persecution and pain and paganism and all the hard things? Are you staying faithful? Because I think if you were to ask Jesus today, hey, Jesus, tell me a little bit about the end. He would end up wrapping up his statement to you by saying this. Stay close to me and stay on mission. Say, why do you believe that? Seven weeks after Matthew 24, Jesus had been crucified, buried, he'd risen again. And in Acts 1-6, his disciples asked him the exact same question. Now? Is the kingdom thing now? And in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, just stay close to me and just stay on mission. Is it now? Don't worry about now. Stay close to me and stay on mission. The Holy Spirit's gonna come, he's gonna empower you, and he's gonna empower you to do the work of the ministry. What has God said to you about staying close to him? What has God said to you about serving him? Let me say something that probably is true, but I wish it wasn't. If we knew that God was coming back December, 1st of, December 31st of 2023, like if that was written in our Bibles, some of you would live differently between June 4 and December 31 than if you didn't know he was coming back for sure, which means the timeline is more important than the Savior to you. Stay close to Jesus. Stay faithful. When? Until you're done. Had a friend text me after 8.30 who was watching online. He said, Christian, I was a prophecy junkie until a few years ago. He got old. He got sick. He had to have open heart surgery, I think quadruple bypass. And he said, one day Jesus said to me, your end will come before the end, so you better get faithful. He said, thanks for the message. It reminds me of what Jesus told me a couple years ago. My end will probably come before the end. So just get faithful. That's good stuff. Because it's the first Sunday of the month, we're gonna close our service by taking communion. So ushers, I wanna invite you to go ahead and step into your places. For those of you who have never done that at Journey, the way that we do that is we pass out little communion packets. It's a two-in-one communion packet that we have you hold and then we take it together after a few moments of reflection. For those of you who don't know what communion is, communion is for followers of Jesus to take to remember his sacrifice, his death, his forgiveness, and his promise of eternal life that he's given to us. So for the Christians in the room, we'd love for you today to take a communion. During the time our ushers are passing it, there'll be some communion meditations, reflections on the screen, just some questions that will help you kind of direct your heart to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. And when they're finished passing it out and our reflection questions are done, I'll come back up and lead everyone in communion. For our fifth grade graduates moving into their sixth grade year, we're gonna invite you and your parents, when I finish praying in just a minute, to come forward to receive communion from some of our elders and our staff and our ministry leaders. They'll give it to you right here at the front. We'll ask you to take it, hold on to it, just stay right here. And then as our church takes communion together, we also will take communion, but as a church, we will pray for you as you step into the most important years of your faith walk between sixth grade and your senior year of high school, the most important years of your faith walk. So parents and fifth grade students, when I say amen, we wanna invite you forward. The rest of you will serve you communion, hold it till we can take it together. Just direct your heart's attention to our screen, answer the questions, let them roll through your head. And then in just a moment, we'll celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus together. God, thank you for your word to us today as we acknowledge Jesus in our midst through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. 
Let it be a sweet moment of reflection and a moment of figuring out, do we need to stay closer? Do we need to re-engage in serving? Until the end, may we stand with Jesus and serve his mission. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.